Open your Bibles to Proverbs chapter 7. Alright, so Proverbs 7. We have the beginning of Proverbs that we've walked through. We had in the first seven verses the introduction, which has kind of two key sets of verses we need to remember. Verses 2 to 3 give us a purpose of the book. And the purpose of the book is to hear wisdom and instruction. To see the words of understanding, to grab the instruction of success, justice, judgment, and equity. So this idea of having the knowledge of what is good, the means to it, the idea of being trained, being able to understand the meaning of things. This allows us to be able to act in a way that is prospered or successful, to be able to make judgments according to truth, to make right choices, and to have an orderly and beautiful set of behavior. And so we're told in that context, in verse 7, that the fear of the Lord is the beginning of knowledge, but fools despise wisdom and instruction. And so we're called to fear God, to have our knowledge be firmly built upon the knowledge of God, and not to despise wisdom or instruction. So we are looking at the next section. Right, We saw how through the end of chapter 9, we have still part of this large introduction for the book. And there's a chiastic structure where we have parts that relate to each other as a sort of sandwich shape. And so we talked about in the first chapter, the Father's invitation versus the gang's invitation. The second part of the first chapter, wisdom rebukes the simple and calls them to, to get wisdom. Then in chapter 2, the father warns against evil men and the unchaste woman. We get into chapters 3 and 4, and that was the fourth part, the, the D in the chiasm. And the father commands that teaching be heeded, and we've come to the D prime section in chapters 5 and 6. The father warns against the unchaste woman. And then in chapter 7, we're at C prime. We're coming out further, and that contrasts against the earlier, uh, it fits together with the earlier chapter 2, where we have the woman folly, the manifestation as the harlot. And we have to consider the dangers of harlotry, and we're being taught how to resist the temptations of sin in chapter 7. And so the father warns against the evil men and the unchaste women in chapter 2. And in chapter 7, there's this sort of idea of, of the father grabbing the son and looking out the window of the house. And you see this simple man and you see a harlot. And the interaction is analyzed. It's sort of this looking into the foolishness of the world and the father is explaining the folly of this simple man to his son. And so let's look now at chapter 7 and let's be instructed to understand the folly of the world. My son, keep my words and treasure my commands within you. Keep my commands and live and my law as the apple of your eye. Bind them on your fingers. Write them on the tablet of your heart. Say to wisdom, you are my sister, and call understanding your nearest kin. 
they may keep you from the immoral woman, from the seductress who flatters with her words. For at the window of my house, I looked through my lattice and saw among the simple, I perceived among the youths, a young man devoid of understanding, passing along the street near her corner. And he took the path to her house. In the twilight, in the evening, in the black and dark night. And there a woman met him with the attire of a harlot and a crafty heart. She was loud and rebellious. Her feet would not stay at home. At times she was outside, at times in the open square, lurking at every corner. So she caught him and kissed him with an impudent face or shameless face. She said to him, I have peace offerings with me. Today, I have paid my vows. So I came out to meet you, diligently to seek your peace, sorry, to seek your face. And I have found you. I have spread my bed with tapestry, colored coverings of Egyptian linen. I have perfumed my bed with myrrh, aloes, and cinnamon. Come, Let us take our fill of love until morning. Let us delight ourselves with love. For my husband is not at home. He has gone on a long journey. He has taken a bag of money with him and will come home on the appointed day. With her enticing speech, she caused him to yield. With her flattering lips, she seduced him. Immediately, He went after her as an ox goes to the slaughter or a fool to the correction of the stocks. So an arrow stuck his liver. As a bird hastens to the snare, he did not know it would cost his life. Now therefore listen to me, my children. Pay attention to the words of my mouth. Do not let your heart turn aside to her ways. Do not stray into her paths, for she has cast down many wounded and all who were slain by her were strong men her house is the way to hell descending to the chambers of death turn with me to page 2 let's analyze the first few verses verses 1 through 5 my son keep my words and treasure my commands within you we have this beginning section where we're being called into the teaching and what we should be remembering if we are treasuring the words is back in chapter 2 verses 16 to 19 about the harlot woman chapter 5 verses 1 to 23 and chapter 6 verses 20 to 33 there's already been a lot of teaching about the immoral woman the unchaste wife the woman to avoid and so these are things that as we come in we should we should be asking ourselves how well are we listening how well are we keeping the words of our Father in our hearts? How well are we treasuring up these commands? If this is not something that comes to mind well, the teaching on the same subject that has come just before, I encourage you to go back and to meditate on those texts so that the teaching about the immoral woman will be fresh in your mind and you'll have the clusters of them. The repetition of it is designed to make us familiar, to become aware to see things so that we understand reality, so that we are not deceived as naive, simple ones about the appearance of things, but instead that we are able to see past the mere coverings and that the veneers will not deceive us. 
My son, keep my words and treasure my commands within you. Keep my commands and live. And so we're reminded again about the commandments of God in life and the idea that we are to be drawn into life, that the knowledge of God is eternal life. And we also know the idea that the the commands are associated with the life and they are life-giving. They point to that. We can think about the covenant of works, do this and live. But we can also think about how in the covenant of grace, having life, the law now instructs us of a lamp unto our feet to help us to grow in the knowledge of God and grow in the possession of life. That we would have life by faith alone and that we would enjoy it abundantly. That we would have it abundantly by growing in the knowledge of God. And so the law instructs us in that way and it helps us to avoid the things that would slow down and retard our growth in the knowledge of God. So keep my commands and live and my law is the apple of your eye. Apple of your eye. right? This idea that this is the thing that draws your attention. It's pleasant to you. It looks good. And the fruit of the tree of the knowledge of good and evil is not an apple. But in the context of this idea of the seductress and yielding to the seductress, and the idea of an apple and the idea of the enjoyment of fruit, there is certainly a connection, a rhetorical connection to the idea of where you should look. And we just had this idea of the commandments and living. When you think about the idea of living, we already have, there's a rhetorical connection, I can't remember if it's three times or four times, but in the book of Proverbs, the idea of the teaching and wisdom and the commandments being a tree of life. And so the idea of the tree of life being pointed to that there is something here to look upon that is beautiful and pleasant and good and life-giving. And so we should give our attention to the law the teaching of our parents when it is consonant with the word of God, the teaching of your pastor when it is consonant with the word of God, make it the apple of your eye. This is the thing that you're focused upon, and that it's a thing you want to harvest and take and take within you. To bind them on your fingers. When you see binding, hopefully you know exactly what I'm about to say. When you see binding, it should remind you of covenanting. Binding refers to bonds that are a connection. They tie something down. They tie something together. And so the idea of covenanting with the fingers, right? Job talks about covenanting with his eyes to not look upon a woman unrighteously. The idea of binding to our hand, we read that in Deuteronomy 6, the binding to the fingers, the the detail action. And so... What do you grab apples with? Do you normally like slap your elbows together to grab apples off of trees? Or like kind of like incompetently slap your hands together? Or do you typically grab it with your fingers? So I want to suggest to you that this is the idea that you're grabbing this thing and it's maintaining its connection to your fingers. And then the taking in. right? So the, the writing on the tablet of your heart. When you think about tablets and the idea of writing, you should recall Exodus with God writing on the tablets of stone. And so the idea of the tablet of the heart, the renewing of the heart, the idea in Jeremiah of the, of the new covenant with the writing of the law on the heart, there's a rhetorical connection throughout the Bible here about this. So writing it on the tablet of the heart. So we are to take it in, we're to have this in our thoughts, we are to remember it. So with how much emphasis there is on remembering and taking in these laws... And the fact that, like I said, we've already had chapter 2, chapter 5, and chapter 6 teaching on the immoral woman, again, let me emphasize to you, this is something we're supposed to remember. 
If you don't remember what's taught in those sections, go back and look at it. Now, say to wisdom, you are my sister, and call understanding your nearest kin, that they may keep you from the immoral woman, from the seductress who flatters with her words. Now, Deuteronomy 22, verse 22, establishes the seriousness of adultery and why the immoral woman must be warned against over and over again. If a man is found lying with a woman married to a husband, then both of them shall die. The man that lay with the woman and the woman. So you shall put away the evil from Israel. There is a great seriousness here that that adultery is tied together with idolatry, that covenant unfaithfulness is something where people don't have the right affections, the right loyalties, and there's a displaying of the falling away from God as people pursue sensual pleasures not in the appropriate place, not in the boundaries and hedges that God has established. And so those things can be seen, and they are common, so common uh, the idea in Proverbs here is that even looking out the window through the lattice work, you can see this simple man, and you can see the immoral woman, and the idea of their interaction occurring within even the sight of his own home. And if you can't relate to that, I mean, just think for a second where can you go and not run into the immoral woman and the simple man? Can you go to the supermarket and avoid them both? No. Can you drive on the highway and not see them both? No. Every billboard is one or the other. Right? And this idea that the world is just full of the simple and worthless men and the immoral women. Now, that's not how it need always be, but that is the condition that we are in now. And so we should be able to relate to this. And so... This father is talking to his sons. He's talking to his son and giving him the warning to avoid this way of death. This commandment is life because it keeps you from death. Now, wisdom, when it is closely tied with you, when it's associated with you inwardly and also outwardly, one of the benefits of wisdom and being known for wisdom is that it makes it so that you have a stronger sense of shame. And it makes it so that not only are you worried about the evils of sin, but even your own reputation becomes a hedge for you to keep you from falling in moments of weakness because of the fear of being caught. Which is, of course, silly, right? Because we should be more concerned about the eyes of God than the eyes of other men. But there is a way in which the reputation for wisdom helps you to be concerned to not lose that. And so being tied to wisdom, being close to wisdom, inwardly and outwardly, helps you to keep from the immoral woman, from the seductress who flatters with her words. This makes it harder for you to fall, and these hedges will guard you from attack. Now, seduction and warfare are very similar. The principles of seduction and the principles of warfare laid out in the Bible are very similar. And we're going to see that. We're going to, let's walk through what the harlot does. Okay, The harlot, she is the destroyer of men. Verse 6, For at the window of my house I looked through my lattice and saw among the simple, I perceived among the youths, 
really among the sons. And so, fathers, this should, this should hit you, okay? This father is looking out and seeing the simple. He's looking out amongst the sons. It could be your son. There's, out, there's looking and seeing sons that they're somebody's son. And they're simple. They've not been instructed. Their parents have failed to properly instruct them. And so seeing these sons as a young man who's devoid of understanding. Right? There's, in the beginning God created the heavens and the earth and it was without form and void. There's this filling to eliminate the void and forming, ordering, right? And in the mind, we need to fill the mind with truth and we order it systematically. Here's somebody's mind who's void. And so if there is not a teaching of the doctrines of Scripture, that man's mind is empty of useful things. He does not have the weaponry necessary to deal with a surprise attack. And he has not done well to guard his way to avoid an ambush. He is traveling along as a simple one, without proper armaments, passing along the street near her corner. And he took the path to her house in the twilight, in the evening, in the black and dark night. Now, men, we are dumb. Here's how we are dumb. We do not realize the degree to which we need to deal with seductresses as a danger. I want you to think for a second about this as though it were a woman that you cared about walking in the dark by a den of thieves. How obvious would it be that we would say, what are you doing? We would immediately say, do not walk near the den of thieves. Don't do it at night. Don't do it unarmed. Don't do it by yourself. What are you doing? It's not as obvious to us about walking by the harlot. As much as it's a danger for men, for women to walk by a den of thieves, that's the kind of danger that it is for men to walk by the harlot and her abode. It's common just out the front door. And the simple are easy targets. Now, first Peter, let me talk about the simple and his lack of understanding. First Peter chapter three, verse seven says, Husbands likewise dwell with them, talking about wives, women, with understanding. The word is gnosis, it's knowledge, giving honor to the wife as to the weaker vessel, and as being heirs together of the grace of life, that your prayers may not be hindered. Now, the simple kind of just wants a woman, and he wants a woman because he wants to fulfill his sexual desires, and he would like to not be lonely. Enjoying things is better, not by yourself. That's kind of, everybody's just kind of looking for that companionship. That's what the world kind of has. So I want somebody to fulfill those desires, and if they would stick around, preferable. That's the simple. Now, 1 Peter 3, 7, the way of living with understanding. This idea of, of living, dwelling with them, okay, the, the word is, 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 is rooted in the word oikos, okay, and this idea of oikosing with. Is the word okay? It's householding with, dwelling with, the husbands household with wives, with knowledge or according to knowledge. 
So how do you live with women, especially in your household, in a way that's according to knowledge? You give them honor, but it's not the same way that you get honor for men. And women, here's the thing. I just called the men stupid. I get to call you stupid, too. Okay? Here's the problem, women. You don't know how to honor men. This is a difficult thing in our culture. There's no teaching of how to honor men. And so I want you to grab hold of what this text says and the other texts that we're saying, we're going to look at, we're going to see the way that men are supposed to deal with things, and we need to compare and contrast, and we need to deal with the reality that we all have a void of understanding in places that our culture has not discipled as well in. What boys don't learn, men won't know, and our culture has not discipled as well. Husbands likewise dwell with them, wives, with understanding, giving honor to the wife as to the weaker vessel. The idea that we have to cherish honor wives, that honor is explained. It's not the same sort of honor that's given to husbands or to leaders. It is as to the weaker vessel. Now, there are other texts that explain this in more detail. Giving honor to the wife as to the weaker vessel as being heirs together of the grace of life, that your prayers may not be hindered. Giving honor as to the weaker vessel is giving honor as to that which is beautiful and must be guarded or protected. So the common analogy here is the idea of, think about the fine china. How do you treat it? How do you honor it? Versus how do you deal with kind of everyday dishware? And so the idea of a vessel of of cherishing, a vessel that's to be honored and cherished. And so there's a way to care for women that is different from honoring men. But this needs to not be condescending. It needs to not be suggesting that women are inferior. So the dangers of a proper recognition of the order of things in the home is not recognizing that women are equals to men in their essence and fellow heirs of the grace of life. The distinction is a distinction of law and not a distinction of essence. And so the idea of protecting and honoring as the weaker vessel. And so equal as heirs. If we don't do this, men, the result will be that our prayers will be hindered. This does not mean that there's some sort of legal basis on which our prayers are not heard. The concern is that if we don't care for our wives, then God will discipline us. So there could be a withholding of some blessings. But the other thing is, we won't pray because we will have guilt. And until we repent of it, it's going to make dealing with God in close communion difficult. The reality is, we just won't pray. That is the principal way that it will hinder our prayers. Now, if we think about the idea of the weaker vessel, and we also think about the idea of the simple being easy target for the immoral woman, the simple is naive, looks on the outward, and women, as the weaker vessel, the idea here is that the woman is beautiful, that she's a sign in, in her beauty of holiness, and, and, and beauty is associated with the priesthood, beauty and glory. 
and the idea of, of the priestly activities. And so you think about man having a duty of taking public office in the church and state. There's a, a public element there, and the women have a certain hiddenness, which is what feminists hate about gender roles. And so but that recognition of those roles and of the beauty of that which is covered and protected makes it so that there's this tendency of an attraction to beauty as a sign of goodness and of holiness, and so the desire to draw close. So it's not, be- it's not fitting for beauty to be given to fools or for the wise to be ugly. That not, might sound odd to you. But that's the way it is in this cursed world often. So let's think about that relationship. Proverbs 11.22 as a ring of gold in a swine's snout, so is a lovely woman who lacks discretion. The problem is not that she's a woman. The problem is not that she's lovely. The problem is the absence of discretion. And so the loveliness of the woman is like the gold ring, something valuable. The absence of discretion is the unfitting place, the swine's snout. So they who are beautiful should not disfigure themselves. That's not the solution. Oh, this will be fitting. Now you're ugly, and you have no discretion. Problem solved. That's not what should occur. What should occur is instead, they who are beautiful should become wise and modest. Now, if you're wise and modest, and you're not beautiful, don't become a fool. That's not the solution. They should seek to beautify and dignify themselves in modest ways. And, you know, there are some interesting empirical studies. You know, the principal thing is that men find attractive in a woman. If a woman smiles, the same woman is dramatically more attractive. You have tests, you'll have the same picture, you'll have pictures of the same woman, and you'll have them in this like, big set of women, and then the men will say, rate them on attractiveness. The same woman smiling rates much higher than the same woman not smiling. And so this idea of, of the fruits of the Spirit is just joy, are things that, in reality, cause people to see a person as more beautiful. So the young man doesn't avoid danger. He's passing by the house of the harlot. And I talked about the fact that he's doing this at night, which, you know, there are many verses that talk about nighttime being a time where evil is done and and shameful things and all that. But the idea that it's a time where someone's vulnerable to attack. So, again, I gave you the analogy of Imagine this is your sister, mother, wife, or daughter walking alone by a den of thieves or a group of worthless men sitting on the street. How would you want them to treat that group of men? And so, men, we need to deal with that in the same way when we're talking about dealing with harlot women or various forms of seduction and sexual evil in the world. So, verse 10, the tactics of the harlot, seduction to evil is a major part of the power of evil. Seduction to evil is warfare by the devil in his kingdom. Okay, verse 10. There, is, there a woman met him with the attire of a harlot and a crafty heart. She was loud and rebellious. Her feet would not stay at home. At times she was outside. At times in the open square, lurking at every corner. Replace this with like Goliath. Think about Goliath for a second. Okay? Here's Goliath. He's not wearing the attire of a harlot. He's wearing armor. He's wearing the whole get-up of warfare. And if he's crafty, that's pretty dangerous. Right? You think about an enemy who's seeking to harm you, very dangerous. 
And this idea of being loud is about domineering, dominating, right? When do soldiers yell? The idea of being rebellious, throwing off of, of, of authority, not staying at home, but instead being on the prowl, being outside, being in the open square, lurking at every corner. This is predatory type behavior. And so if this were a thug, you'd say this guy's looking for somebody to mug. Right? As the woman, she's looking for somebody not to just take their wallet from, but to destroy the life. And so there is this hunting that's going on. And men, we don't properly deal with immodesty. Immodesty is a woman trying to dominate you. It is her seeking to exercise power over you in the same way that a mugger would try to exercise power over you. A woman met him with a tire of a harlot and a crafty heart. Now, in this condition, right, the, the, this, this harlotry and craftiness of heart, this is an ambush. And so we need to realize that this is an agent of Satan, that the immodest woman is serving Satan. And so this is an ambush. When we look at this, this is a result of the curse. We think about the woman, Genesis 3.16 says, I will greatly multiply your sorrow and your conception. In pain you shall bring forth children. Your desire shall be for, toward, against your husband, against your husband, to rule over your husband. And he shall rule over you. This is strife. Strife in having and raising children. And there's, there's a temptation because of the strife involved in having and raising children. There's a temptation to not give attention to the children, but instead to try to find something else to give attention to that's not as painful. Then there's also the desire to rule over the husband, and this won't have long-term success, and it won't bring long-term satisfaction. It doesn't work. Even when you think you're ruling over your husband, he still is the dominant force even by his abdication. His abdication or his actual rule or his domineering actions will dominate the home. And so the best thing you can do is seek to work with your husbands to try to help them to lead properly and wisely and well. Now, women tend towards being priestly. They are designed with the way that the fifth commandment is written on the heart to have innate tendencies to care more about certain close relationships and enjoyment of relationship that's because of what they're commanded to do that's the law written on the heart and so as a result the focus is on the pain with children and the pain with the husband so this curse couldn't be more painful (laughs) it's not really true it's an exaggeration, it's hyperbolic but it is a place that will cause great pain. So 1 Timothy chapter 2, verses 8 to 15, helps us to see how to help to reduce this curse. Now this is focused on the idea of the public worship, and so these are largely symbolic actions that help us to understand the nature of reality. Men are to pray everywhere, lifting up holy hands without wrath and doubting. Okay, so... Hey, women and men, what are the complaints that women have about men? Is it that they don't lead assertively enough and that they don't care enough about the relationship being positive? It's a frequent complaint. 
So wrath in the relationship is going to be destructive of the enjoyment of the relationship, and doubting, being double-minded as opposed to single-minded and being able to progress along and lead properly, those are things that the man is to overcome so that he can properly deal with his public role. And the lifting up of holy hands, that's symbolic of laying hands on a person to bless, which is a priestly function about seeking the good of the person you're laying hands on. And it's about the one in authority, typically, exercising a desire to bless. And so the man, by helping to pursue properly how the order of things should be and engaging as opposed to abdicating, helps to create a place where curse is reduced and eliminated and instead blessing is given. What's the opposite of curse? Blessing. What is holding hands up and laying hands on about? Blessing. So now, in like manner also, that the women adorn themselves in modesty, sorry, in modest apparel. So the, the idea of orderly or fitting apparel with propriety and moderation. The word moderation there, um, we've talked about in the qualifications of elders, Sophronin, this is that same root, the idea of discretion, prudence, wisdom. So the adorning is with fitting apparel with propriety, orderliness of action, and prudence, wisdom. And so, not with, and then we have braided hair, gold, pearls, costly clothing. Okay, now, the hair is, is a sign of the glory of the woman. Think back on the weaker vessel. The weaker vessel, beautiful, has to be cared for to avoid breaking. The hair is the glory of the woman. And so the idea of the glory of the woman being on display and even braided, ornamented, is the idea of this glory being out there in the public worship. And gold, the adorning with gold, what was the temple covered in? Gold. And then we have the idea of pearls, and we think about the the gates to the heavenly Jerusalem being pearl. And the idea of pearls and other precious stone-type things being connected with, uh, with the, the priestly apparel, not, not pearls, but the idea of precious stones. And then we have costly clothing, which if you also think upon the priestly, you think about the idea of, of gold thread, red thread, purple thread, blue thread, and costly linens being associated with the temple, the tabernacle, and the priestly office. So these things would be things that have the appearance, the outward appearance of glory, but which instead we're supposed to have what's proper for women, professing godliness, good works. So as opposed to something flashy, where it points out the glory, the visible glory of women, the idea of good works, modest or fitting apparel, propriety of action, and then this idea of moderation or self-control, prudence, wisdom, and action. So let wisdom, let women learn in silence with all submission. The learning is not suggesting the idea that women's thoughts don't matter. It's learning. But as opposed to speaking in the public assembly, there is a learning in silence with all submission. And I do not permit a woman to teach or to have authority over a man, but to be in silence. For Adam was formed first, then Eve, and Adam was not deceived, but the woman being deceived fell into transgression. Nevertheless, she will be saved in childbearing if they continue in faith, love, and holiness with self-control. And that word self-control is, again, the same root of um, 
of this like idea of prudence and and uh, governing himself well. So Eve was deceived by the claims of autonomy by Satan, by the idea that you can be as God, you can make up your own laws. Adam deceived himself into following Eve into sin in order to enjoy her sexually rather than maintain communion with God and trust God to do wisely. Proverbs 7 is showing the curse, fall, weakness of man here in this pleasure-seeking. And so this willingness to deceive himself is played upon by the harlot. So the woman can bring about glorious reformation. She, She can not save herself in childbearing, some people have tried to suggest this is pointing to the idea of the virgin birth and the, the birth of Christ. But it's talking future tense. It's not talking about what's happened already. So the idea that should be saved in childbearing is the idea that bearing and rearing children, motherhood, brings reformation. It brings transformation. The, the benefits of salvation, the growth and sanctification for herself, and then the benefits of the application of redemption around as is taking the role that God has given to her, applying herself to it rather than being a law unto herself. So faith, growing in the knowledge of God, love, seeking the good of God and of neighbor, holiness, a focus on the mission, on the right relationships with the right people, and self-control, right, prudent action. This is, instead we have the, the Proverbs 7 woman, she's loud and rebellious and her feet would not stay at home. Rather than seeking to act in a manner that's fitting to her station and design, she's seeking her own attention and glory and pleasure. Her strength ought to be used to help her husband, and she ought to use her beauty and modesty to bring honor to her husband. Instead, she will tear down her own house and destroy those outside of her house. So we see First Peter 3 talks to women, it says, to be submissive to their own husbands, to, to cause not an over-speaking, right? Proverbs talks often about nagging and the idea that when someone knows that the person under authority can draw them to obedience best by not repeating, but instead by having good conduct themselves. You have to speak in order for somebody to know. But once they know, then a silent, proper obedience, not silently consenting to evil, brings conviction. The chaste conduct of wives accompanied by a proper fear for authority is a powerful witness. Think about that in contrast to the immodesty and the boisterous rebellion of the Proverbs 7 woman. So as opposed to seeking to have adornment be focused on the hair, gold, putting on fine apparel, it should be focused upon a beauty that does not fade away, the gentle and quiet spirit. <clears throat> now, the gentle spirit doesn't mean weak. Think of Proverbs 31. Gentle is controlled strength. And the quiet spirit is a spirit that is able to control the tongue. And James talks about how he who can control the tongue can control the whole body. This is about measured, controlled application of strength. And so the idea that there's a controlling of strength to be under authority. 
Now, we're called to look back, and I said before that there's a stupidity, both of men and of women, that we need to deal with. And so, we look at verse 5, and it says, For in this manner in former times the holy women who trusted in God also adorned themselves, being submissive to their own husbands, not to every man, to their own husbands. As Sarah obeyed Abraham, calling him Lord, whose daughters you are, if you do good, and are not afraid with any terror. So there's a call to be afraid, and there's a call to not be afraid. We're not to be afraid of unlawful authority. Women, you should not be afraid of unlawful orders. And the doing of good. But the part we always ignore, and that we never want to apply anything literal about, is the idea of calling him Lord. And words that are honoring words are extremely powerful. And if you can find ways to speak words of honor and words of expressions of authority to your husbands, the power of it is extraordinary. We do not do it. It is mocked in culture. And it sticks in the throat. It took years at the company that I run to get people to say sir and ma'am. And so the idea of using expressions of honor, words of honor, is something that our culture, it's just not even tolerable in our culture. It's just not tolerable in our culture. And so it is one of the greatest acts of heresy we can commit against modern Western civilization and against feminism. Words of honor towards husbands is an act of rebellion against feminism and it is an act in favor of the overthrow of the world system for the reign of Jesus Christ. It is a powerful planting of a flag. Now, Matthew Henry has an excellent comment about the idea that her feet would not stay at home. Matthew Henry says, Virtue is a penance to those to whom home is a prison. Virtue is a penance to those to whom home is a prison. We see from the Proverbs 31 woman that she has lots of work outside of the home, but it's all for the good of her household. And she does not hate being at home. She does not hate the relationships of home. This woman, Proverbs 7 woman, she hates doing her role, and so the home, rather than a palace to beautify and a domain of her responsibility to exercise authority in wisdom, is seen as a place of drudgery and a prison to escape from. So she lurks at the corner, she goes everywhere, and seeks everything except for her own household and the good of her house. And when she does make use of her home, it is to bring shame on it and to put it to evil use. So we are at the end of our time so I'm going to stop here and I guess we'll pick up to have this delightful subject as we continue on but it's something we need to consider about even though it is a painful thing to consider the wickedness of this harlotry and of the tendency of us as men to be weak in dealing with this there's much to discuss so I'm going to pause are there any comments, questions or objections from the voting members or those with floor rights Mr. Cordova? Uh, thank you for your teaching, Elder Risa. Uh, just, just really a comment, and I've already lost where that is, but when you 
speaking about going to shelter and how it is a preparation for them. Uh, how it is for their good, for the glory of God, instead of being launched themselves. Uh, it was an important topic to discuss, especially right now, with, uh, the push for murdering them all. agree the, the murder of the unborn is is an example of extreme rebellion and hatred of being home seeing home as a prison yeah okay let's pray father we ask that you would bless the teaching of your word we ask that you would help us to be courageous in applying what your word teaches we ask that you would help us to understand with depth and to be able to apply quickly that we would not hesitate between obedience and disobedience but that we would do what you told us to do and that we ask that you would help the men to be careful to avoid sexual sin as though we were avoiding harm from from thieves from brigands for the women that we care for that we would be careful to avoid that as we would want women to avoid those dangers. Father, I ask that you would help us to see our guilt properly for our past failings and to remember the gospel and to see that you have paid for even our sexual sins. We ask that you would help us to be cautious and to be holy unto you and to not be profane. We pray this in Christ's name.